much for your forever beloved, your boundless mercy, your never-ending grace. May Jesus be magnified here in this place this morning. We open our hearts up to the truth that you have to speak to us right now. And we want to follow in complete obedience. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that the Lord of all creation, the master of the universe, the lion, became the lamb. good morning. This is a sermon I wasn't supposed to preach. Uh, This is kind of a unique situation. Uh, I'm actually supposed to be in Washington, D.C. right now, but here's how the story plays out. Uh, We were going to be out to help our daughter take care of our granddaughters while our son-in-law was in Texas preaching. And so uh, we were on our way over to the airport when we discovered that it probably wasn't in our best interest to continue because there had been an exposure, uh, potential exposure to covid And so we had to make the hard decision, even after our medical doctor told us it was okay to go. Thanks, Bert. (laughs) But we decided we'd just rather come on back home. So we we turned around and came back home, and it was just so disorienting. And and here's the way the story plays out, is that Jeff was supposed to be preaching this message, and then he got COVID. So then he had to pass the sermon off to Lane. So Lane is going to be preaching, and then I come back, and I'm all disoriented, and I say, you still want to preach it? And he says, it's yours if you want it. I'm not sure I want it, but I really do. And so anyway, in the confusion, here I am today preaching a sermon that I was never supposed to preach, and when I get finished, you may say, yeah, you shouldn't have preached that one. But it is Valentine's Day, and from John chapter 3, we're going to see the greatest expression of love that could ever be known. But... Since it is Valentine's Day, a quick message to you guys. The last time that I was up in Washington, D.C., it was when our granddaughter, uh, our third granddaughter had just been born. And we were up there for a few weeks, and I was coming back. Michelle was staying up there to help out uh, with the care of this newborn Lydia. And so I'm on my way to the airport. I have all these things in my mind. I know that I'm going to be by myself for about 10 days. All the things I need to get done, my mind is just reeling. All the things I need to, to get done, even on the airplane on the way back. And so as I'm going through security, I get flagged. And they pull me over, and the, the lady says, you know, you can't take a water bottle. You know, she's pulling it out of my backpack. It's like, oh, I know that. You know, I just was preoccupied. So I said to her, anyone ever tell you Men are oblivious. She smiled at me and said, they don't have to tell me. (laughs) We are oblivious. And so, guys, just heads up. It's Valentine's Day for whatever message or value that is. Don't be oblivious. And, you know, we don't want to be oblivious about spiritual things as well, which we can be so easily. We want to be very in tune to to what God wants to do in our lives. When we come here to worship, a lot of us have, have the weather on our mind. I mean, it is like really cold here in southeast Texas, much more than it typically would be. Uh, but that's not the only thing in our mind. I mean, we are experiencing the second impeachment of a president in the United States in the span of a year. There's divisiveness. There's this issue of the pandemic that is going on. There's all kinds of upheaval and uncertainty, fear that we've talked about. We know that. But I think it's so important for us to be praying specifically as a church. A a very important part of corporate worship is to pray together. So I'm going to ask that maybe two or three of you would stand and pray in just a moment and pray for spiritual awakening throughout the world. We have prayed consistently, haven't we, that everywhere the virus has gone, we pray that there would be spiritual awakening. And it baffles me. I mean, I was driving out of the, 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 the parking lot here the other day, and just to, to think that, you know, COVID has hit right here 
And a year ago, you remember, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's probably going to be like everything else. It won't be a big deal. Thinking it's just going to blow over. And this thing over in China has made its way throughout the entire globe. The whole earth has been covered with this coronavirus. And driving away from here, thinking it's, it's hit right here. And so this is a real deal. But, I, but the, the prayer is, is that everywhere the virus is gone, there would be spiritual awakening. So we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for all of our churches, believers throughout the world, that God would just be glorified in spiritual awakening, which when lives would be transformed. And uh, so I'm going to ask two or three of you, not by name, but just two or three of you, if you would just stand up. You don't have to pray a long prayer, but just for all of us collectively to pray together over this. So let's all pray together. Two or three of you just stand and, and voice a prayer for all of us. Lord, we see the harsh realities all around us. It's so easy to spot. But our prayer is that we would see the reality of spiritual awakening, the likes of which none of us have ever seen in our lifetime. We will be able to look back years from now, if we're still here, and talk about the pandemic that was that once-in-a-lifetime experience. But God, our prayers are so much deeper that we would be able to talk about a spiritual awakening that so overshadows the reality of this pandemic that that would be the thing that we talk about most of how you reshaped us, transformed millions upon millions upon millions of people to become more and more like Jesus Christ, lives transformed through the power of Christ. That's what we pray for. Lord, you are the only one that can bring certainty into our uncertainty. You are the only one that speaks into the chaos and says, fear not. You are the only one that is stable and can be trusted. So may we put all of our hope and trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Well, I will say that this message on John chapter 3 is, um, is a challenge. When, when Lane was passing it off back to me, you know, he, he said, I felt the heaviness of it. And there's a lot of heaviness when you're talking about John 3.16. It's typically thought of as the gospel in a nutshell. It's the most familiar, famous passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. And you have this conversation. We're going to begin these conversations of various people with Jesus as we continue through the book. But in John chapter 3, we have this conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus, who is the most righteous guy that you would ever know. And not a guy who is presumptuous about his righteousness, but he is really seeking the Lord. As as we read through John chapter 3, I want you to kind of try to track with the conversation. God's word is living and active, and we are about uh, to embrace that. And so as we read, let's pray that God would literally make his word become real, active, and alive in each one of our lives, whether we're a Christian or not, that this would be the day that God's word becomes so real to us. It says there was a Pharisee, his name was Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus asked, how can this be? Jesus said, you're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Interesting that as John is writing, John is, writes in the most simplistic of terms in the New Testament. Some of those concepts and those words and those ideas, they kind of, you know, make us think a little bit, cause our brain to kind of be stretched a little bit. But he's actually writing to the common man in such a, a simplistic way because he wants us to get it. Remember John's purposes. He wants us to understand that Jesus is the Messiah and for our lives to be forever changed. Now, before we start into this conversation with Nicodemus, I want to ask, are you praying for someone to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this year? You have a name, you have somebody in mind, it breaks your heart that they're not yet a Christian, and you're praying for them. My hope is that you are, that every last one of us, praying for at least one, maybe a dozen, every day it seems like my list gets a little bit longer as I pray for people. And you know, something happened this last week in that that traffic accident up in Fort Worth, tragic accident of all those cars and those people that were killed and hurt a number of them going to the medical community to try to minister in the midst of this horrendous pandemic that we're experiencing. And one of the first people in that pileup 
was a young man who was one of the first cars that slid off and the car started stacking up afterwards. And he jumped out of his car and he ran back to begin helping people. And people said, you're, you're a hero. And he says, I'm, I'm no hero at all. He said, I just, I made the decision that it's either, it's either fight or, or flight. And I was going to fight to try to help people. He said, I didn't want to be a pansy that was just standing there with my camera videoing it. And as I thought about those words, I thought, how oftentimes do we find ourselves kind of in that position? We're forced with a decision. Are we going to be a pansy that just kind of sits back and views what's going on? Are we going to jump into the midst of it and try to make a difference in people's lives, to try to save lives? And so as we go through this, I hope that you'll be thinking about, okay, how does it relate to me? How does it relate to someone that, that doesn't yet know Jesus Christ? Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and there's so much conversation about that. Previous sermons and books and all these ideas have been written like he's afraid to meet with Jesus. And really, probably the reality is this. He came to Jesus because rabbis would meet at night. They would be talking with students and others during the daytime. Crowds would be pressed around them. But this was more of a quiet time in which they would study and they would share with one another. And he comes to Jesus and he calls him rabbi, which means that we're on equal terms here. It was a very complimentary term because Jesus was not a part of the group that Nicodemus was a part of. He was a part of the Pharisees. The Pharisees came out of the exile when the people were in Babylon and they were separated from the temple. And there were people that came aside and said, we're going to do everything that we can to try to connect with God because we can't connect with him through the temple. They were very religious. There were about 6,000 of them at the time that Nicodemus was alive during Jesus' time. And they had committed themselves to obey every single detail of the law. 613 different commandments were given. And then many were added to that by the religious leaders. Each one of the Pharisees would have stood before three people as witnesses and say, I will spend the rest of my life obeying every single part of the law. He was very religious, very well trained. Jesus will call him the teacher. It could be that Nicodemus was the premier teacher among all teachers. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was a, a religious group of people that ruled over all of the people in Israel. They were only underneath Rome. It would be like taking Congress and the Supreme Court, rolling them together. They were that powerful. And as he comes to Jesus, who was not a part of this group, he says, Rabbi, meaning you're a teacher like us, I'm here to better understand the situation. I think he was there on, uh, on a desire to better understand who Jesus was. And here's the thing. He comes to the reality that we have a universal problem. The universal problem is that we will not enter the kingdom of God unless something happens. And Jesus is going to explain that. So as he comes to Jesus and enters into this conversation, he finds that his whole world is turned upside down. Everything that he believes is about to be challenged. And so let's listen carefully as we, as we go through this time together. It says that we have a universal problem. No one can see the kingdom of God unless. Unless is a word used in the original language that expresses the exclusivity Jesus is saying the only way to get into the kingdom of God is the way that I'm about to tell you. You see, Nicodemus thought that he was already in. He wasn't there to discuss whether or not he was in. He thought he was already in the kingdom of God. He was there just to see, Jesus, how do you fit in to our system? And for a lot of people, that's the question. This is my life. This is my career. These are my pursuits. These are my goals. These are my ideals. Jesus, let's talk about how you might fit in to all of this. And Jesus isn't going to have anything to do with that with Nicodemus or with us. He says, I'm not here to fit into your plan and to your system. Much like the angel of the Lord who stood before Joshua and Joshua said, okay, whose side are you on? And he said, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. Jesus was expressing his exclusive role as the Messiah. The only solution was found in verse 16. Jesus says, you have a universal problem. Unless something happens, even you, Nicodemus, 
are not included in the kingdom of God. In verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And listen to the exclusivity of John 3.16. This is so important in our pluralistic society, culture, not just in America, but around the world. We want so many different options. We want to be in control. Right now, there's a new football league that just started this week. Johnny Manziel is playing for him. And the way it's set up is it's seven on seven, and the viewers are the ones who call the plays. Not the players, not the coaches, but the viewers call the plays. That's a real good snapshot of the world today. We want to call all the plays. And here is Jesus saying to Nicodemus, there is only one play, and it's through me. Whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. Meaning if you don't believe in me, you will perish. It goes on to say that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him would be saved. That word, world, it's used 186 different times in the New Testament, and every single time it's used is to communicate the sinful rebellion of humanity against God. And here Jesus says, for God so loved the world. All of us and everyone who has ever lived and will live who has rebelled against God. Jesus is saying there is only one way to experience the kingdom of God, and that's through me. Some of you find Betty White to be entertaining. She's that actress who turned 99 this last month. Effervescent smile and sense of humor. And she was asked, what is her secret to longevity? And she replied, try not to die. Well, we can try not to die, but it's going to happen for all of us at some point. And we can try to get into the kingdom of heaven on our own, but Jesus says it's never going to happen on your own as much as you do try. Because Nicodemus is a perfect example. That's why this conversation is so unique. If anybody deserved to be in the kingdom of God, based upon what they did, Nicodemus is your guy. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you can't be good enough. No matter how hard you try, none of us can. And that's good news. We don't have to try to be good enough. We accept the goodness, the purity, the holiness of who Jesus is. I love Romans 5.8. It says that God demonstrates his own love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were good enough, not after we had tried hard enough. It says that Jesus demonstrates God's love for us and that while we were yet sinners, he would die for us. I'm glad we don't have to try. I think of that Valentine's joke in which a, a guy repeatedly told his wife, honey, I love you so much I would die for you. And he kept saying it over and over and over. And after several months, she said, you keep on saying that, but when are you going to do it? You know, it's not just words. Jesus isn't just saying, I love the world. It's with his actions in which he lays down his very life. The Son of God lays down his life so that we can experience eternal life. We look at verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And the way it's written in the original language in the present tense, it means that it's forever that way. If you believe in him, that will never change. You will never be condemned. What great security that when we have our belief in Jesus and we stumble and we, and we fall and we fail, which we all will, we are still secure in his salvation. But it goes on to say that if we haven't believed in him, we are condemned in the same tense forever and always, and nothing will change that. You see, what Nicodemus believed was the same as what all the Pharisees believed is that a Messiah was going to come and he was going to inflict the wrath of God upon the Romans. He was going to overthrow all authorities and Israel would be raised up and would be the preeminent world leader. That's what they were thinking about. God's wrath would come and Jesus says, I didn't come to bring God's wrath on everybody. I came to save the world, that the world wouldn't be condemned. That's my mission. Next time, yes. 
when Jesus returns the second time, yes, for all of those who have rejected him and says, I don't want to have anything to do with you, yes, they will experience the condemnation and the wrath of God. But Jesus said, my mission this time is to simply demonstrate my love for you that you can be redeemed through me. There are four pictures in this conversation that I think help us to better understand this truth of John 3.16. It's such a simple verse, so straightforward. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. It means unique because we find in, in, in John chapter 1 that anyone who believes on Jesus can become a child of God. But it's saying Jesus is the one and only. There's no one like him. He is God and man together. No one will ever be like him. And God came down, one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. As Jesus was talking to a very confused Nicodemus, he began to give him some pictures that would, better, would help him to better understand this whole idea of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Savior. The first one is that of birth. Look back at verse 6. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. In this passage of Scripture, we're introduced for the very first time in the Bible to this idea of being born again. Born again has been used many times in a lot of different settings. Um, we know that Larry Flint died this, this last week, the founder of Hustler magazine. He said of himself, I'm born again. We think back to many years ago when President Carter ran for office. He said, I am born again. That was a brand new statement. For those of you old enough to remember Jim Jones, he was a religious leader that said he was born again, yet he led over 900 people to commit suicide. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus has said to Nicodemus, you're going to have to be born again. And Nicodemus is so confused by that because he says, even if I could, I, I, that's not even possible for me to enter into my mom's womb and be born again. And what Jesus is saying to him is, you think you're in the kingdom because you've been physically born. That was the prominent belief then. If you were born a Jew, you were in. The only way that you wouldn't be in the kingdom of God is if you blaspheme God or if you were extremely wicked. And so Nicodemus is saying, I'm already in. Why would I need to be born again? And Jesus said, the flesh will always give birth just to the flesh. And the spirit will always give birth just to the spirit. Even if we could be born physically again, it would just reproduce another physical birth. Only Jesus can produce a spiritual birth in us. Do you remember your birth? Probably not. None of us do. How much of that did you, how much did you initiate of that? Did you have a lot to do with that birth? We didn't. I mean, it, it wasn't initiated by us. It wasn't accomplished by us. And Jesus is saying, just like you didn't initiate your own physical birth, you can't initiate your own spiritual birth. God initiates that by Jesus Christ coming and dying for us and opening the pathway for us to experience eternal life. So you can't initiate your own spiritual birth by doing enough good things. It'll never happen. And Jesus wanted Nicodemus to see that. He wanted us to see that. They're two different things. We've all been born physically that are here, right? The question is, have we all been born spiritually? It's not enough to just be born physical, because we, we hear that time and time again in a culture. Over the last few weeks, you've heard that a lot. We're all God's children. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. Only those who commit their life to Jesus Christ become children of God. It's not enough just to be born physically to become a Christian. You must be born spiritually. The second word picture is that of, of wind in verse 8. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and again, hear this, because for some of you, you may not yet be a Christian. For those listening online, you may not be a Christian. This may all be so foreign to you. And when you hear this, it completely is reshaping anything that you've ever thought about, or it's making you think in a way that you never have. And that's the way it was for Nicodemus. He was having to think in a way that he had never thought before, and so Jesus gives him these little word pictures, and he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Probably was a night breeze while Nicodemus and Jesus were having this conversation. And as the breeze was blowing and you could hear the trees rustling, Jesus draws out this analogy. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And some would say, okay, that, that shows how archaic the Bible is. I mean, we can tell. Well, we have radars and satellites and all kinds of data and information in which we think that we know exactly where the wind is coming from and all of that. A different time and place, but what Jesus is saying still makes sense even today. I slept through most of my time at school, so I didn't get this little truth that probably all of you got. But like all this, this cold air coming down here right now is from the North Pole. And, you know, there, there's an Arctic vortex that typically is spinning. I know you already know that, but I didn't know this. And it spins around the North Pole. Keeps all the cold air for the most part. Whenever that's strong, it just kind of whirls all the cold air right there with Santa and everybody else. But when that thing starts getting weak, it leaks. And that's why we're having cold air now, because the Arctic vortex has become weakened, and so the cold air is leaking out, and it's coming down our way. Now, we have meteorologists can explain that to us, but you think about things about the wind. Do we really know where it comes from? We, we have all the data to show all this stuff, but what, do we really know that? You think about how the meteorologists were doing with Delta, and we're on this side, the western side, further west of the storm than we were with Laura, and we had higher winds here up to 100 miles an hour. And the meteorologist is saying, I've never seen anything like this. And Jesus is saying, we can think that we understand the wind and all of that, but let that be a lesson to you about the Spirit. You can't control the wind. Have we stopped a hurricane yet? Thank you. The wind can't be controlled. And we can't control the activity of God. We can't pull a lever with our good works and control God giving us salvation. It's to say, your good works will never be enough. We can't control God. This is rocking Nicodemus' world. He's saying, I thought everything I was doing was putting me right where I needed to be. I just came to talk to you to see where you fit in to our system. And Jesus says you can't control the Spirit of God just like you can't control the wind. But you can see its effects. Even though the wind is a mystery, you can still benefit from its effects. A number of you will want to get on the sailboat uh, with Debbie and Brad Brown. They've invited all of us to, to come and be a part of their new sailboat and sail with them around the world. Right? That was my understanding from dinner. Yeah, all right. You know, when you get on your sailboat, you don't have to understand where the wind's coming from, what started the wind, which pole it came from. All you have to do is set your sails and benefit from the wind. We don't have to understand everything about the Spirit of God to let the effects of his salvation and transformation to come into our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. I know you don't understand all this, but you don't have to understand it all before you can experience the benefits of it. And then he gives us this incredible picture from history. Look at verses uh, 14 and 15. It says, just as Moses, lifts, and again, he's talking to Nicodemus and saying, man, I know this is blowing your mind. Here's another picture that helps you to better understand it. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and, and, and Nicodemus knew all about that because he was a religious leader and teacher. So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is taken from Numbers chapter 21, uh, verses 4 and following. And in that particular part of history, what happens is that the people of God have been delivered from Egypt. They're out roaming through the wilderness, and they're complaining again. That's just kind of a common theme that you find. God has parted the Red Sea for them to be delivered from Egypt. All the, the plagues that have gone there, you've been reading through that as you're reading through the Bible uh, this last week. And there they are out in the wilderness. They're complaining about the food. They're complaining about not having enough water. They're complaining about everything that is going on. And God, this time, does something uniquely different. And this is such an incredible story. A piece of history happened thousands of years ago. Because of their complaints, about two or three million of them out in the wilderness, God set loose all of these fiery serpents 
with the purpose of biting the people for the rebellion against him. And if they were bitten by the snake, they would die. And people were dropping everywhere. And God says to Moses, I hear the people crying out, save us. So I want you to build a bronze snake, because there's all these snakes in the camp, put it on a pole in the middle of the camp. And everyone who looks at that bronze serpent will be saved. Everybody that was bitten by the snake would die. It wasn't like they were bitten by the snake and they get kind of infected, they would die. This was their only hope. And Jesus is saying, just like it happened in the wilderness, how did it happen? Was there magic in that pole? No. It was a demonstration of faith that God said, if you will look at that bronze serpent, you'll be healed. You ever wonder how many people didn't look? How many family members said, just look, just look at the serpent and you'll be healed? And someone says, that's ridiculous. I've never heard of anybody being healed by looking at a pole. And they died. But everyone who looked miraculously was healed. And Jesus said, it's going to be the same with me. I'm going to be put up on a pole, on a cross. And everyone who looks on me is going to live. But everyone who denies what I'm doing will die, just like those people did in the wilderness. God wants us to understand that. We come into this world snake-bitten. What a, what a picturesque icon there. It was the serpent who introduced sin into the world by tempting Adam and Eve. And here is this serpent. And God says, you'll be delivered from your sin if you look upon me. Jesus says on the cross. We come to this final picture, that of light. We see in verse 19, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and saying, listen, this is the verdict. Our time's about up. Our appointment is about to finish. Here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Whoever one, who, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light or fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's a picture of light and darkness, which is a common theme throughout the book of John, that light is life and darkness is death. And you think about your own life, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, regret of your life took place in the dark. And I'm going to tell you something that I did in the dark, and it's not the worst thing that I did. But it illustrates that. When I was a kid, we would fill up, and if there's any kids listening, do never, don't ever do this, okay? Don't ever do this. Don't do as I, do as I say, not as I did. But we would fill up balloons with water. And we would go hide behind bushes in the dark, and when cars would drive by, we'd throw the water balloons. Just dumb kids. We thought it was so fun, not realizing that you could throw a water balloon and hit a car and so distract the driver that they might crash and could even die. We're so dumb, we're not even thinking about that. But you know, we didn't do that during the noontime standing in front of the road. We did it at night. We hid because we knew that we were doing something that was wrong. And that's what happens when we have sin in our life. We want to be in the dark so that we won't be exposed. And the converse is true. When you are afraid and you're in the dark and you want someone to save you, when you see the light... It's like, oh, thank you. Or you hear something in the other room in your house. First thing you want to do is turn on the light. You want to expose what's out there. And that's what Jesus is saying is, if you will come to me, I will expose everything that is keeping you from me. And I will bring you into the light. What a powerful statement. Can we read it just one more time together? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Where are you today? Are you standing there in disbelief that Jesus Christ can save you just like that serpent upon the pole? You see, you put your faith in Christ. What Jesus is saying here is what we say every week. 
He's saying God loves us and he created every last one of us to have a relationship with him. It's not just for people that go to church. It's not just for people that think about spiritual things. God loves the world, everybody. And he created each of us to have a relationship with him so that we could have eternal life and not experience eternal separation from him. But the problem is we have all been snake bit by sin. And that particular bite of sin will cause us to die forever unless we look to Christ. Jesus Christ can save us. If anybody wasn't saved in that camp, it wasn't because God didn't provide the opportunity. The pole was there. The opportunity was there. If anybody today goes into eternity in eternal separation from God, it's not because of God's fault. He has provided the opportunity for each one of us. And it all starts by humbly repenting of our sins. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. You've got to turn away from this idea that you can make yourself good enough and receive me as Lord and Savior, the one that will be on the pole. The beautiful thing is we can all be changed like Nicodemus. Nicodemus went into that conversation with Jesus wanting to see how Jesus would fit onto his team. And his whole life was changed. And we'll see later on at the end of John, it is, it is Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea taking the body of Jesus off the cross because he became so convinced that he was his only hope. Jesus is our only hope. But if you've never received him, I pray that you would voice a prayer similar to this and begin your journey on following after Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if anyone listening today has never received Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that your spirit would quicken their heart to such a degree that they cannot resist turning to you. It is such a common belief that we will be good enough, do enough good things, or we haven't done enough bad things to not be right with you. But you make it so clear through your word. This conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. So Lord, for all of those who we love so dearly that are not yet in the kingdom, may this be their prayer. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all of my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. But for those of us who are already your children, Christians, followers of Christ, may we hear the message again clearly today that everyone we know who doesn't know you is already condemned and their only hope is through Christ. Would you allow us to be used by you to reach them with this incredibly good news? God, may all of us truly surrender all that we have to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you want someone to pray with you, I'll be standing at the cross this year as we worship during this final song. And know that in the atrium after the service, there's an opportunity to discuss all kinds of things. The atrium is, is like that garden in which Nicodemus and Jesus had conversation. You can have conversations about spiritual things with people after the service there. So if you need to respond, see me at the crosses or see us in the atrium after the service. Let's prayerfully worship as we stand together.